0: Welcome to The Drebblecast, episode 401. The Drebblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we continue James Tiptree Jr.'s space opera novella, We Who Stole the Dream. The Jolani, a slave race to the humans, have just narrowly pulled off a massively intricate escape plan hijacking a cargo ship and blasting off into unknown Tau space, pursued by a warship. Let's get into it, shall we? We bring you the exciting conclusion of We Who Stole the Dream by James Tiptree Jr. We Who Stole the Dream by James Tiptree Jr. Part Two. An alarm shrieked and cut off, all colors vanished the very structure of space throbbed wildly as by a million to one chance the three most massive nearby moons occulted one another in line with the tiny extra energies of the terran cruiser and its detonating missile in such a way that for one micro micro minimum the dream stood at a semi-null point with the planetary mass In that fleeting instant, she flung out her Tau field, folded the normal dimensions around her, and shot like a squeezed pip into the discontinuity of being which was Tau. Nearby space-time was rocked by the explosion, concussions swept the moons and across the planet beneath. So narrow was the dream's moment of safe passage that a fin of bright metal from the cruiser and a rock with earth and herbs on it were later found intricately meshed into the substance of her stern cargo hold, to the great wonder of the Jolani. Meanwhile, the rejoicing was so great that it could be expressed in only one way. All over the ship, the Jolani lifted their voices in the sacred song. They were free. The dream had made it into Tau space, where no enemy could find them. They were safely on their way, safely on their way to an unknown destination over an unknown time with pitifully limited supplies of water, food, and air. Here begins the log of the passage of the dream through Tau space, which, although timeless, required finite time. Jat Khan let the precious old scroll roll up and laid it carefully aside to touch the hand of a co-mate. He had been one of the babies in the Amlot containers. Sometimes he thought he remembered the great night of their escape. Certainly he remembered a sense of rejoicing, a feeling of dread nightmare blown away. The waiting is long, said his youngest co-mate, who was little more than a child. Tell us again about the Terran monsters. They weren't monsters, only very alien," he corrected the child gently. His eyes met those of Salasvati, who was entertaining her young co-mates at the porthole of the tiny records chamber. It came to Jat Khan that when he and Salas were old, they might be the last Jolani who had ever really seen a Terran. Certainly the last to have any sense of their terror and might, and the degradations of slavery burned into their parents' souls. Surely this is good, he thought, but is it not also a loss in some strange way? Reddish or sometimes yellow or brownish, almost hairless with small bright eyes she was telling the child, and big about the distance to that porthole there. And one day when the three who were on the dream were allowed out to exercise, they rushed into the control room and changed the gyroscope setting so that the ship began to spin around faster and faster, and everybody fell down and was pressed flat into the walls. They were counting on their greater strength, you see so that they could seize the dream and break out of Tau space into Terran stars," her two female co-mates recited in unison. But old Javad saved us. Yes, but he was young Javad then. By great good luck, he was at the central column, right where the old weapons were kept that no one had touched for hundreds of days. A co-mate smiled. The luck of the Jolani? No. Jat Khan told her, We must not grow superstitious. It was simple chance. And he killed them all, the child burst out excitedly. A hush fell. Never use that word so lightly, Jat Khan said sternly. Think what you are meaning, little one, Jaila Sanatha. As he admonished the child, his mind noted again the incongruity of his words. The little one was already as large as he, as he in turn was larger and stronger than his parents. This could only be due to the children's eating the Terran mixed food from the ship's recycler, however scanty. When the older ones saw how the young grew, it confirmed another old myth, that their ancestors had once been giants, who had diminished through some lack in the planet's soil. Was every old myth-legend coming true at once? Meanwhile, he was trying once more to explain to the child and to the others the true horror of the decision Javad had faced, and Javad's frenzy of anguish when he was prevented from killing himself in atonement. Jat Khan's memory was scarred by that day. First, the smash against the walls, the confusion, the explosions, their release, And then the endless hours of ritual argument, persuading Javad that his knowledge of the ship was too precious to lose. The pain in Javad's voice as he confessed, I thought also in selfishness that we would have their water, their food, their air. This is why he doesn't take his fair share of food and sleeps on bare steel and why he's always so sad the child said, frowning with the effort to truly understand. Yes, but Jat Khan knew that the child could never really understand. Nobody could who had not seen the horror of violently dead flesh that once was living, even though alien and hostile. The three corpses had been consigned with due ritual to the recycling bins, as they did with their own, but now all the Jolani must bear some particles in their flesh that once were Terran. Ironic. A shadow passed his mind. A few days ago, he had been certain that these young ones and their children's children would never need know what it was to kill. Now, he was not quite so certain. He brushed the thought away. Has the log been kept right up till now? Asked Salsavati from the port. Like Jat Khan, she was having difficulty keeping her young co-mates quiet during this solemn wait. Oh, yes. Jat Khan's fingers delicately riffled through the motley pages of the current logbook on the stand. It had been sewn together from whatever last scraps and charts that they could find. The clear Jolani script flashed out at him on page after page. Hunger. Rations cut. Broken. Water low. Repairs. Adult rations cut again. Oxygen low. The children water reduced, the children need, how much more can we end soon, not enough, when? Yes, that had been his whole life, all their lives, dwindling life sustenance in the great rotating cylinder that was their world now the unrelenting uncertainty, would they ever break out, and if so, where? Or would it go on till they all died here in the timeless, lightless void of the ship? and the rare, weird events, things almost seen like the strange light ghost ship that had suddenly bloomed beside them with ungraspably alien creatures peering from within its parts, and has suddenly vanished again. Somewhere in the dream's magical computers, circuits were clicking toward the predestined coordinates, but no one knew how to check on the program's progress, or even whether it still functioned. The merciless stress of waiting told upon all of them in different ways as the hundred-day cycles passed into thousands. Some grew totally silent. Some whispered endless ritual, some busied themselves with the most minute tasks. Old Bizlat had been their leader here, his courage and cheer were indomitable. But it was Javad, despite his dreadful deed, despite his self-imposed silence and reclusion, who was somehow still the symbol of their faith. It was not that he had lifted the dream, had saved them not once but twice, it was the sensed trueness of his heart. Jat Khan turned the old pages, reflected that perhaps it had all been easiest for the children who had known no other life but waiting for the day. And then the changed writing on the last page spoke for itself. There had come the miracle, the first of the days. All unexpectedly, as they were preparing for the three thousandth and something sleep period, the ship had shuddered, and unfamiliar meshing sounds had rumbled around them. They had all sprung up wildly, reeling in disorientation. Great strainings of metal, frightening clanks, and the old ship disengaged her tau field to unfold her volume into normal space. But what space indeed. Stars, the sons of legend, blazed in every porthole, some against deep blackness, some shrouded in glorious clouds of light. Children and adults alike raced from port to port, crying out in wonder and delight. It was only slowly that realization came. They were still alone in limitless, empty, unknown space, among unknown beings and forces, still perishingly short of all that was needed to life. The long-planned actions were taken. The transmitter was set to send out the Jolani distress call at what old Javad believed was maximum reach. A brave party went outside onto the hull in crazily modified Terran spacesuits. They painted over the ugly Terran star, changing it to a huge sun in splendor. Over the Terran words, they wrote the Jolani word for dream. If they were still in the Terran Empire, all was now doubly lost. My mother went outside once, said Jat-Khan's oldest co-mate proudly. It was dangerous and daring and very hard work. Yes, Jat-Khan touched her lovingly. I wish I could go outside now, said the youngest. Oh, you will. Wait. It's always wait. We're waiting now. Yes, waiting. Oh yes, they had waited, with conditions growing ever worse and hope more faint. Knowing no other course, they set out at crawling pace for the nearest bright star. Few believed they were waiting for anything more than death. Until that day. The greatest of days, when a strange spark burst suddenly into being ahead and grew into a great ship bearing down upon them suddenly, and they had seen the sun in splendor upon her bow. Even the youngest child would remember that forever. How the stranger ship had almost magically closed and grappled them, and forced the long-corroded main lock. And they of the dream had then seen all dreams come true, as in a rush of sweet air, the strange new Jolani, the true, real Jolani, had come aboard. Jolani, but giants as big as Terrans, strong and upright, glowing with health, their hands upraised in the ancient greeting, how they had narrowed their nostrils at the dream's foul air, how they had blinked in wonderment as the song of thanksgiving rose up around them. Through it all, their leader had patiently repeated in strange but understandable accents, I am Conrad Jemnal Vasid, who are you people? And when a tiny, old Jolani female had rushed to him with leaves torn from the hydroponics bed and tried to wreathe him, crying, Jem'nal! Jem'nal, my lost son! Oh, my son! My son! He had smiled embarrassedly and stooped to embrace her, calling her mother, before he put her gently aside. And then there was the explanations, the incredulity, as the great new Jolani had spread out to examine the dream, each with their train of awe-struck admirers. They had scanned the old charts and opened and traced the Tau program with casual skill. They too seemed excited. The dream, it seemed, had performed an unparalleled deed. One of the giants had begun questioning them, arcane, incomprehensible questions as to types of Terran ships they had seen, the colors and insignia numbers of the Terran's clothes. Later, later, Conrad Jemnal said, and then he'd begun the practical measures of bringing in food and water and recharging the air supply. We will plot your course to the sector base, the great Jolani told them. Three of our people will go with you when you are ready. In all the excitement, Jat Khan found it hard to recall exactly when he had noticed that their Jolani saviors were also well armed. They are patrol spacers, old Bizlat said wonderingly. Conrad is a military title. That ship is a warship, a protector of the Jolani Federation of Worlds. He had to explain to the young ones what that meant. It means we're no longer helpless, his old eyes glowed. It means that our faith, our gentleness and honor, our Jalus and away, can never again be trodden to the dirt by brute might." Jat Khan, whose feet could not remember treading dirt, yet understood. A marveling exultation grew in them all, even old Javad's face softened briefly from its customary grim composure. Female Jolani came aboard, new marvels. Beautiful giantesses who did strange and sometimes uncomfortable things to them all. Jat Khan learned new words. Inoculation, infestation, antisepsis. His clothes and the others were briefly taken away and returned looking and smelling quite different. He overheard Conrad Gemnel speaking to one of the goddesses. I know, Kanal. you'd like to strip out this hull and blow everything but their bare bodies out to space, but you must understand that we're touching history here. These rags, this whole pathetic warren is hot, living history. Evidence too, if you like. No, clean them up, depinge them, inoculate and dust and spray all you want, but leave it looking just the way it is. But Conrad, that's it. Jat Khan had not long to puzzle over that. It was the day of their great visit to the wonderful warship. There they saw and touched marvels, all giant-sized, and then were fed a splendid meal, and afterward all joined in singing, and they learned new words for some of the old Jolani songs. When they finally returned, the dream seemed to be permeated with a most peculiar odor, which made them all sneeze for days. Soon afterward, they noticed that they were doing a lot less scratching. The frittlings that had been part of their lives for so long seemed to be gone. They sent them away, Jat-Khan's mother explained. It seems they are not good on ships. They were killed, old Javad broke his silenced remark tonelessly. The three giant Jolani spacers who were to get them safely to the sector base came aboard then. Conrad Gemnall introduced them. And now I must say goodbye. You will receive a warm welcome. When they sang him with the others farewell, it was almost as emotional as on the first day. Their three guardians had been busy at mysterious tasks in the dream's inner workings. Old Bizlot and some of the other males watched them keenly, trying to understand. But Javad seemed no longer to care. Soon, they were plunged back into Tau space, but how different this time, with ample air and water and food for all. In only ten sleep periods, the now familiar Shudder ran through the dream again, and they broke out into daylight with a blue sun blinding in the ports. A planet loomed up beside them. The Jolani pilot took them down into the shadow-darkened limb, sinking towards a gigantic spaceport. Ships beyond Count stood there, ablaze with lights, and beyond the field itself stretched a vast, jeweled webwork, like myriad earthly stars. Jot Khan learned a new word, city. Almost at once, the Dream's five Elders had been ceremoniously escorted out to visit the High Elders of this wondrous new place. They went off in a strange kind of land ship. Looking after them, the Dream's people could see that a lighted barrier of some sort had been installed all around the ship. Now they were simply awaiting their return. They're taking so long! Jat Khan's youngest co mate complained. She was getting drowsy. Let us look out again, Jat Khan proposed. May we exchange places, Salasvati? With pleasure. Jat Khan led his little family to the port as Salasvati's moved back, awkward in the unfamiliar sternward weight. Look out beyond, she said. There are people. It was true. Jat Khan saw what seemed to be an endless multitude of Jolani in the night, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of pale gray faces beyond the barrier, all turning towards the dream. We are history, he quoted Conrad Jimnal. What's that? An important event, I think. See, here come our elders now. There was a commotion, a parting in the throng, and the landship, which had taken the elders away, came slowly out into the free space around the dream. Come look, Salsavadi. Craning and crowding, they could just make out their elders and their giant escorts emerging from the landship, taking warm ritual leaving of each other. Hurry, they'll tell us all about it in the center. It was difficult, with the ship in this new position and everything hanging wrong. Their parents were already sitting sideways in the doors of the center shaft. The youngsters scrambled to whatever perches or laps that they could find. The party of elders could be heard, making their slow way up from below, climbing the long unused central ladders to where they could speak to all. As they came into view, Jat-Khan could see how weary they were, and how their dark eyes radiated excitement and exultation, yet with a queer tautness or tension stretching their cheekbones as well, he thought. We were indeed warmly received, old Bislot said, when all had reached the central space. We saw wonders it will take days to describe. All of you will see them in due time. We were taken to meet the High Elders here and ate the evening meal with them." He paused briefly. We were also questioned by one particular Elder about the Terrans that we've known. It seems that our knowledge is important, old as it is. All of you who remember our previous life must set yourselves to recalling every sort of small detail. The colors of their spacers' clothing, their ornaments of rank, the names and appearance of their ships that came and went. He smiled wonderingly. It was strange to hear Terrans spoken of so lightly even scornfully. We think now that their great empire is not so mighty as we believed. Perhaps it has grown too old or too big. Our people," he spoke with his hands clasped in thanksgiving, "...our people do not fear them." A wordless, incredulous gasp of joy rose from the listeners around the shaft, Yes, Bizlat stilled them. Now, as to what is ahead for us, we are, as you must understand, a great wonder to them. It seems our flight here from so far away was extraordinary, has moved them very much, but we are also, well, we're so very different like people from another age. It is not only our size, their very children know more than we do of practical daily things. We could not quietly go out and dwell among the people of this city or the lands around it, even though they are our own Julani of the faith. We elders have seen enough to understand that, and you will too. Some of you may already have thought on this. Have you not? A thoughtful murmur of assent echoed his words from door after door. Even Jat Khan realized that he had been wondering about this same thing somewhere under his conscious mind. In time, of course, it will be different. Our young, or their young, will be as they are, and we all can learn. He smiled deeply, but Jat Khan found his gaze caught by old Javad's face. Javad was not smiling, his gaze was cast down, and his expression was tense and sad. Indeed, something of the same strain seemed to lie upon them all, even Bizlot. What could be wrong? Bizlot was continuing, his voice strong and cheerful. So they have found for us a fertile land, an empty land on a beautiful world. The dream will stay here as a permanent memorial of our great flight. They will take us there in another ship with all that we need and with people who will stay to help and teach us. His hands met again in thanksgiving, his voice rang out reverently. And so begins our new life of freedom, safe among Jolani stars, among our people of the faith. Just as his listeners began quietly to hum the sacred song, old Javad raised his head. Of the faith, Bislat, he asked harshly. The singers hushed in puzzlement. You saw the gardens of the way, Bislat's tone was strangely brusque. You saw the sacred text emblazoned. You saw the meditators. I saw many splendid places. Jivad cut him off, with idle attendants richly gowned. It is nowhere written that the way must be shabbily served, Bislat protested. The richness is a proof of its honor here. And before one of those sacred places of devotion, Javad went on implacably. I saw Jolani, as old as I, in rags, almost as poor as mine, toiling with heavy burden. You did not mention that, Bislat. For that matter, you did not mention how strangely these young high elders of our people here are. Think on it. It can only mean that the old wisdom is not enough that new enterprises not of the way are in movement here. But Javad, another elder put in, there is so much here that we are not yet able to understand. Surely when we know more, there is much that Bizthought refuses to understand, Javad said curtly. He also has omitted to say what we were offered. No, Javad, d- do not, we implore you, Bizthought's voice trembled. We agreed, it's for the good of all. I did not agree. Javad turned to the tears of listeners. His haggard gaze swept past them, seeming to look far beyond. Oh, my people, he said somberly, the dream has not come home. It may be that it has no home. What we have come to is the Jolani Federation of Worlds, a mighty growing power among the stars. We are safe here, yes, but Federation, Empire, perhaps it is all the same in the end. Bizdat has told you what these so-called elders kindly gave us to eat, but he has not told you what the High Elder offered us to drink. They said it was confiscated, Bislat cried. Does it matter? Our high Jolani, our own people of the faith. Javad's eyelids closed in sadness. His voice broke to a hoarse rasp. Our Jolani were drinking star tears. that was our story. Abraham Lincoln once said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Ole Honest Abe would surely admit after hearing this story that this truth is not only limited to man. We're excited to bring you new commissioned work the next three weeks for Women in Aliens Month here on the TravelCast, written by amazing women writers all about one of mankind's greatest speculative thought preoccupations, extraterrestrials. I think you're gonna love these stories. One of our amazing editorial staff, Sandra Odell, spent a lot of time picking and reading and editing and basically doing everything behind the scenes to get this month together. And I hope you wind up appreciating that as much as I do. We'll also be bringing you a great reissued DC story from the Archives as a Drabblecast Director's Cut Special, where I interview acclaimed author Christine Catherine Rush on her hit story, Sing. Not to mention, a really amazing surprise story for you folks who support us at the $10 a month level, and are hooked into our bonus premium content feed, Drabblecast B-Sides. So yeah, the rest of March is going to be jam-packed with awesomeness, folks. Wait, wait, wait. Back up, Norm. You guys have a premium content bonus feed with more stories? Why, yes, we do, person from the rural American South. Yes, we do. See, Travelcast is able to purchase rights to stories like the one you heard today and the hundreds upon hundreds of other days that we've run stories through the generous support of listeners such as yourself. Your donations are put to good use. I hope you agree as a fan of the show. You can go to our website, Drabblecast.org, and donate to help our podcast keep going and growing in any amount you choose as a one-time donation. Or you can sign up for a regular automated monthly donation in any amount. Two bucks, five bucks. If you can manage ten bucks, though, you get hooked up into that premium exclusive content zone, where new stories and other exciting things for your ears come at you each month in addition to the weekly show. So consider helping out. We greatly appreciate it. Simply go to dreadlecast.org and click "Support the Show" there at the top. You rock! Right, folks. Let's close things out this week with our weekly 100-character story winner by Brian with a Y. Here goes. I'll be all right, he told himself. The thing writhed inside of him once more. He paused, confused. We'll be alright. Nice. 100 character stories, not counting spaces. It can be done, and it's super fun. We hold our ongoing weekly contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org in the easy-to-find Twabble section. That's what we call them. And all you gotta do is post yours in there, and who knows, you might be next week's winner. If so, we tweet your rocking piece of microfiction out on our Twitter feed, at Drabblecast, early each week, and also run it on the show, as you just heard. Give it a shot, we even have a handy 100 character story sizing tool there, so you can easily keep track of your character count as you write. That's forums.drabblecast.org, twabble section. And as far as all Drabblecast social media goes, that's also at Drabblecast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and ratemysquid.com. Swipe right folks, our squid is hot. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial no Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or elsewhere on the internet. Tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist again this week, Tristan Tolhurst. Our program is brought to you this week by Tom Baker, Melissa Harvey, Jason Smith, Bo Kyer, Sandra O'Dell, Zimmerman Bledsoe, a piece of toast with the image of your uncle mysteriously burnt onto it, Samantha Henderson, Jen Fisher, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that the dream has not come home. With another sip of his gin-doused with tonic, a smile practice face on the side, a smile practice face on the side.